Imagine that you're the event planner for the Super Bowl victory parade. And since we're indulging in a little fantasy, let's say that it's the Vikings Super Bowl victory parade <laughs> and not the Kansas City Chiefs. The highlight of the parade is the appearance of the winning players holding the Lombardi Trophy and waving to their adoring and long-suffering fans. Now, as event planner, it's your job to arrange the appropriate transportation for the team. What should they ride in on? A big bus? No, something better, something more Minnesotan. How about sleighs pulled by majestic white stallions? Or dog sleds with the dogs wearing purple Vikings coats? No, still not grand enough. How about a float of a giant Viking ship pulled by white stallions and dogs dressed in purple Vikings coats? And have the, the Blue Angels fighter jets do a flyover as well? Something as big as this calls for going all out. These players have freed us from a lifetime of coming in second or third or worse. No longer can the Packer fans tease us for having never won the big game. These players are heroes, practically gods. What would a god ride coming into Minneapolis? We may never find out. But today, we celebrate how the Son of God rode into Jerusalem. There were adoring crowds, people cheering for their hero, going wild, throwing their clothes onto the street in front of him, ripping down the branches from the trees and waving them like banners or tossing them on the road in front of him. Parents lifting their children onto their shoulders to get a glimpse of his majesty. And when Jesus arrives, is he riding on a white stallion, a huge float, or a big bus? Not quite. Here's the story from Matthew 21. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you'll find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. He sent them off right away. Now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. Now a large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this, they asked. The crowds answered, It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus does his own event planning. And he doesn't choose a ride worthy 
of who he is as the Son of God. Instead, he chooses a ride that shows his humility, his willingness to suffer any indignity for our sake. He came riding on a donkey, even a little donkey colt. Have you ever seen donkey basketball? Anybody? Anybody seen donkey basketball? Oh, a few people have been, had that privilege. Last Wednesday in Worthington, they held a donkey basketball fundraiser for their King Turkey Day celebration. And four teams of players rode on donkeys bearing names such as X-Lax and Hemorrhoid and everyone's favorite, Super Stupid. It was played in their school gym just as a regular basketball tournament would be, but, but obviously these are not serious games. The, the whole idea is to make a fool of yourself. Donkeys are a lot shorter than horses, so the player's feet almost touch the ground, and one might be named super stupid, but they'll never name one super fast. It's goofy, it's hilarious. Crowds turn out for the humor and for the humiliation. And yet that's how Jesus chooses to come into Jerusalem. Humble, and riding on a donkey. And he did it not to make you laugh. He did it to save your soul. And to set an example for me and you to follow. Jesus would never command us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And this week's impossible command is to be humble. Or as Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble. Over and over again, God's word tells us to be humble. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another, be compassionate, and humble. The command to be humble may not show up 99 times like, don't be afraid, but it shows up more times than we can ignore. So why is it so important to God? Aren't we supposed to have pride? Aren't we supposed to insist on the respect that we deserve? Don't we honor those who are number one? I mean, don't we want to shout, we're number one, we're number one. Someday, Vikings fans. But God seems to have a different priority. Why is that? Because without humility, you're going to hell. Without humility, death wins. Not your humility, Jesus's. This whole week is about Jesus the one and only Son of God, laying aside his Godhood, putting aside the praise that's rightfully his, and humbling himself to the point of dying a criminal's death on the cross for you and me. He made us number one, undeserving as we are, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless for the sinner. Listen to how Second, how Philippians, the second chapter 
describes what Jesus has done for us. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself for our sake. And he commands us to do the same for others. A little earlier in chapter 2 it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Or as Ephesians 4 says, be completely humble. And that's not an easy command. So let's apply those four steps from the book Impossible Commands and see where we get. Step one is to admit that it's hard. To say, I can't do it. And for some, this commandment to be humble is, is harder than for others. When Tammy and I were first dating, we would get together with her many uncles and aunts, and, and one of the uncles would often take out a guitar and they would sing a bunch of goofy old songs like Put Another Log on the Fire and the Mac Davis tune, It's Hard to Be Humble. Do you know that one? Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. You know people like this, don't you? People for whom, whom humility is an impossible command. People like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I'm really glad that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week, and I give you one-tenth of all I earn. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough even to look up toward heaven. He was so sorry for what he'd done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God, have pity on me. I'm such a sinner. Then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing to God. If you put yourself above others, you'll be put down. But if you humble yourself, you'll be honored. 
For some, being completely humble is impossible. They can't do it. But that's not you, right? I bet when you heard this week's command, you thought, finally, there's an impossible command that isn't hard for me. I'm good at being humble. And I bet you are. I've seen some of the most humble and self-giving people I have ever met right here in this church. There are those for whom being humble doesn't seem very hard. But there's one part of humility that often trips us up. And that's forgiveness. You may not have thought of forgiveness and humility together, but they're two sides of the same coin. You can't be truly humble unless you truly forgive. Being humble means being willing to put yourself lower than you deserve. It means voluntarily coming in second or third or last for the sake of someone else. And that's what forgiveness does. And that's why forgiveness is so hard. I know people for whom humility is easy, but they struggle with forgiveness. I just can't forgive, they say. If I forgive, they win. I get hurt and they get off. I deserve better than that. And yes, you do. And so did Jesus. But that didn't stop him from praying as our sins drove the nails into his hands. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. We don't deserve to be forgiven. Our gain was his loss, but he humbled himself even unto death on a cross so we could be forgiven. I can be humble, Jesus, but humble like you, even unto death on a cross, forgiving those who hurt me, I confess, I, I can't do it. That's step one. Step two is I'm sorry, Jesus, but my heart isn't there. I have a half-hearted humility. Choosing the easy humility of not bragging or, or brushing off compliments or, or letting someone else go in front of me in line, but refusing the harder humility of forgiveness. I don't have to be first, Lord, as long as I come out ahead of those who hurt me. You want, to be willing to, you want me to be willing to allow someone to be treated better than they treated me? I'm sorry, I'm just not there yet. So step three, please help me, Lord. Help me to have the mindset as you do, Christ Jesus. Shape me into your image. Enter into my life and do that which I cannot do on my own. I was at a gathering of pastors uh, a week or so ago, and they sang a song with a really disturbing verse. The song is called The Summons. And it asks, how low will you go to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? And the verse that gets me says, will you kiss the leper clean and do such as this unseen? And that's disgusting. Kissing leprosy sores will not make them clean. It's a revolting image. And yet, 
Sometimes that's what God asks us to do. That's where humility leads us. In June, Tammy and I are going to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. And to, to celebrate the anniversary, um, we're getting all of our kids and grandkids together, and we've rented a, a big house on the beach um, in North Carolina. Curry Beach, North Carolina. It's a, an island just, uh, um, just off of, of Wilmington. And it's uh, one of my favorite places. I've been there, been there many times. I just love Curry Beach. But the first time I went there, it wasn't so easy. See, I was a chaplain at a huge state facility for mentally and physically challenged adults. And many of, of these residents never left that facility in the entire year, except for the one week when we took them to a church camp. And in this particular week, we had arranged the chaplains there at the facility, we had arranged for them to go to Curry Beach. There's a Lutheran retreat center there, and we took a van load of the residents to enjoy their week. And that meant that for that week, I would have to be the personal care attendant for Rod, a severely handicapped man. Change his clothes, clothes, bathe him, feed him, wipe his butt. I know many of you do this humble work every day, and I thank you. Like I said, I've seen some of the most humble and self-giving persons right here. I so respect you. But I wasn't a parent yet, and I hadn't done that for anybody, let alone an adult. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. And so I had to pray, God, help me. Help me to humbly serve Rod as you would. Because I don't know how I'm going to do it otherwise. And God helped me. And I helped Rod. And I discovered not only what God can do in me, I also discovered one of my most favorite places in the world. Step three is saying, please help me, God. And then step four is to just do it. Let's go, God. Jesus, if you can ride a donkey instead of a parade float, if you can forgive the persons who betrayed you, beat you, crucified you, if you can lay aside your glory and your place as God's son to walk around as one of us, to suffer as we suffer and to die as we suffer, if you can do all that, then I'm willing to try. Because you chose me, God, and I want to be like you. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, Lord, that's what I'm going to do by the power of your Spirit. Let's go, God. This week as we approach Easter, is there any Pharisee in you? Any way you have put yourself above others? 
then confess and ask Jesus, please help me to be humble like you. And is there anyone you need to forgive? Any grudge to let go of? Do it now. Forgive as the Lord forgives. Not by your own power, but by surrendering your life to Jesus, who is the very definition of humility and forgiveness. On this Sunday, so many years ago, when Jesus rode into town humble and riding on a donkey, it wasn't a fundraiser. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a basketball game. It was a sign of what his work was all about. To humble himself, even through death on a cross, to accomplish God's purposes. And this week, this holy week, he invites us to follow in his footsteps. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, Jesus says. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Oh God, we find it more or less difficult to be humble. When we think about forgiveness, that's a little harder too. But what's really hard is to forgive as you forgive, to live as you live. We stand in awe that you did that all for us. We didn't deserve it. We hadn't earned it. But you came and you walked through this week. From the cheers of this Sunday to the jeers on Good Friday when you're nailed to a cross. You did it all for us. So we could be forgiven. And so we could be raised to new life. We look forward to celebrating that next Sunday. Lord, but in between, help us to remember what you've done for us and how you call us to follow in your footsteps in humility and forgiveness.